the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, January 19th, 2021. Speaking of the need for deprogramming, the race and volume to run down America appears unremitting. That is what truly needs deprogramming. Sure, we saw it in the radical street movements on the left in the 1960s and from a few professors here and there. Noam Chomsky comes to mind. Then it flowed downward into more and more elementary and secondary curricula and pedagogy. And politically, of course, you started to get it in the Democratic Party, most particularly as a response to Ronald Reagan's presidency. If he could campaign on a great America, a morning in America, the counterweight had to be a not great America or rather a dusk in America, which all led to the famous speech Gene Kirkpatrick gave at the Republican Convention in 1984, where having watched the Democratic convention preceding it, she noted the general theme of the Democrats had become that no matter the problem in the world or from the enemies of the West, the blame was always America's. She concluded her litany of examples with a quote from the French philosopher Jean-Francois Ravel, who wrote, clearly, a civilization that feels guilty for everything it is and does will lack the energy and conviction to defend itself, close quote. I am just today put in mind of William Butler Yeats's line that the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. As our text, I was sent a sermon delivered at the National Cathedral this past Sunday in advance of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The sermon was given by professor and ordained minister Michael Eric Dyson. I've watched, read, and listened to him for some years, first becoming aware of him little over 20 years ago when he was somewhat f- famous for saying white people should not be quoting Reverend King and should put on holiday his statement that we should be judged by the content of our character and not the color of our skin. I thought it odd then. Why, after all, would one want to take the magic of a unifying theme in our country and make it divisive or unavailable or unusable, unteachable by an entire race of people, one you're especially trying to appeal to? Indeed, I think one of the most forgotten things and one of the most beautiful things about Reverend King's work was that it gave everyone something they could unify around, common humanity based on the key themes of our country's founding, patriotism. That's precisely what the Michael Eric Dysons are out to destroy. In his sermon Sunday, he attempted to deliver what he thought St. Paul would say to a racist America. He then preached, quote, In the wake of this carnage, many citizens claimed that what occurred at the Capitol is not America. The sad truth is that for many people, this is the only America they know, an America that spills blood in the name of misguided patriotism, an America willing to avert its eyes from truth in the glare of baseless conspiracy, an America that worships at the altar of the Second Amendment while making an idol of weapons and betraying the Second Commandment. An America that spews disgust at the dark foreigner and harbors hatred for the brown immigrant. An America that despises as enemies those who cry out that black lives matter while waving the, while waving the traitorous banner of Confederate bigotry. 
This is America and has been America since America became America. There is a greater danger you must boldly confront. American exceptionalism is really white supremacy on the sly. The men who founded your nation relish talk of God while holding black flesh in chains. Many of those who say that God takes special pride in your nation seek to bless the blasphemy of white supremacy. The American church has sinned by portraying truth as white, fact as white, reality as white, beauty as white, normal as white, moral as white, righteousness as white, theology as white, Christ as white, God as white, and America as white. Close quote. Where to begin? The first thing I noted was it seemed to be a bit of a plagiarizing from an essay in The Atlantic published just last week. Some of you may recall I quoted it in one of my monologues from Professor Ibram Kendi of Boston University. Kendi wrote in The Atlantic last week, quote, to say that the attack on the U.S. Capitol is not who we are is to say that this is not part of us, not part of our politics, not part of our history. And to say that this is not part of America, American politics and American history is a bald-faced denial. But the denial is normal. In the aftermath of catastrophes, when have Americans commonly admitted who we are? The heartbeat of America is denial, close quote. That was Kendi. Sounds awfully close to what Dyson said as he preached, quote, in the wake of this carnage, many citizens claimed that was what, that what occurred at the Capitol is not America. The sad truth is that, for many people, this is the only America they know, close quote. Plagiarism aside, this is the only America they know? 300 some odd wingnuts, including left wingers, in a country of over 250 million adults, storm the nation's capital. It is roundly denounced by all parties, and it, for many people, is the only America they know. How can a once in a lifetime event committed by one ten thousandth of one percent of our adult population with a series of mixed motives be the only America people know? We are thus a country that spills blood in the name of misguided patriotism? What patriotism and spilling of blood is he talking about? If people engage in violence or vigilantism or anarchy or constitute a mob, by near definition, that is a breaking of the law and not state-sanctioned violence, but violence against the state or country. And if you believe in or are loyal to the country, such actions are by definition the actions of outlaws attacking the country. And attacking the country is the near-perfect definition of the opposite of patriotism. It's not love of country. It's hatred of country. There is no patriotism in attacking your own country any more than it is patriotism in violently attacking its symbols of freedom, be it your Congress or your statutes. Statues and monuments depicting and memorializing your country. Say statues of Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or Frederick Douglass or Ulysses Grant or Thomas Jefferson, among others. Hard, after all, to support the destruction of a statue of George Washington while saying you were offended that there were people who rioted in our capital that was named after him. No? Hard, too, it seems to me, is to condemn vigilantism at our capital when given the opportunity to denounce the destructions and vigilantisms against other property, the symbols of America from Columbus to Washington, you simply say people will do what people will do, as Nancy Pelosi said. But when Reverend Dyson says something really interesting and wrong, quote, an America that spews disgust at the dark foreigner 
and harbors hatred for the brown immigrant, an America that despises as enemies those who cry out the Black Lives Matter while waving the traitorous banner of Confederate bigotry, close quote. This is a country that takes in nearly one million immigrants a year, foreigners, if you will. The main countries of origin and order are China, India, Mexico, and the Philippines. I don't know if that constitutes dark or brown in Reverend Dyson's vision, but it's certainly not Caucasian. Now let us talk of despising as enemies those who cry out that black lives matter while waving the Confederate flag. I was pretty entrenched in talking about and analyzing the BLM protests and riots last year. None of it came from a place of of despisement. Lament? Yes. Instructing otherwise? Yes. Pointing out the misguided ethic of being forced to confess something that distorts your own beliefs? Yes. The problem with the BLM movement was several fold, beginning with the bragging that its founders were trained Marxists. The agenda that it wanted to disrupt the Western family right out of the work of Marx and Engels was another. And the whole list of demands that included ending private education, one of the great equalizers for racial minorities in America, ironically enough. And of course, the incantations that America was gripped by and steeped in a systemic racism that did not think black lives mattered. Even as so many of these cities were run by African-Americans, even in a country that twice elected an African-American president and welcomes the success of teams of immigrants who outperform Caucasian Americans year after year after year from countries like Nigeria, Barbados, Ghana, Trinidad, and Tobago. All of this bile, by the way, ahead of a day the country takes off and celebrates in the name of Martin Luther King Jr. One of the things forgotten about King was his last protest in Memphis. It was a sanitation workers strike. If you go online and look at the pictures of that strike, you saw man after man after man, black men, all of them, and their signs said something simply and beautifully. They said, I am a man. There was an important meaning in that. The strikers did not hold signs saying they were men of a particular color, though they were all black. They held signs saying they were men, just men, to remind their community of the promise and truth of the Declaration of Independence, the promise King kept redounding to. We are men like all other men that the magnificent Declaration of Independence spoke of. And yes, unlike Dyson or the 1619 Project or the BLM movement, King said, as Frederick Douglass before him said, our Declaration was a magnificent freedom document. For without it, what would civil rights workers refer to or look to in speaking on behalf of civil rights? Which is why there is an added irony and wrongness to what Reverend Dyson says about those who opposed Black Lives Matter, carrying, in his words, the traitorous banner of Confederate bigotry. You see, while this country, of course, had slavery, like almost every other It was not the whole of the country. In fact, it was a minority, a minority of states and a minority of the population, where the majority of states and the majority of the population here fought the minority, singing lyrics such as, as he died to make men holy, we shall die to make men free. That was in something called the Battle Hymn of the Republic. For you see, there was something here called a confederacy, and its leaders said things like the Declaration of Independence promoted a self-evident lie. They said things like the black man has no rights that the white man was bound to respect. 
it was that side that revised and convoluted and misrepresented our founding. The other side, the side of Douglas and Lincoln and Grant, and later, of course, Martin Luther King, who spoke in front of the Lincoln Memorial, let me remind, it was that side that said our founding was meant to embrace freedom and equality and to put slavery on the road to extinction. So you see, when Michael Eric Dyson cites to an America of historical and systemic and foundational racism, he is siding with the view of America held by the Roger B. Tanis and Jefferson Davises and Alexander Stevens, a side I thought lost, a side I thought wrong, a side that thought the Declaration was wrong, a side 365,000 Americans died to defeat. To put a fine point on it, there was a side of America that thought we were founded on the basis of racial superiority and inferiority. It was called the Confederacy. As the vice president of the Confederacy, Alexander Stevens, once put it, quote, the assumption of the equality of races the founders held was an error. Our new government is founded upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery's subordination to the superior race is the natural and normal condition, close quote. When you argue the side of the Confederacy and take the historical and philosophical lessons of the Confederacy as your view of America, you are the one waving the banner of the Confederacy, not we who stand with Lincoln, we who stand with Grant, we who stand with Frederick Douglass, we who stand with Martin Luther King Jr. I can give you quote after quote from Lincoln who opposed the reading of our founding the way the Confederacy and Dyson gave it. But here's a gem I haven't used in a while. Noticing the retraction from our founding, he said, our progress in degeneracy appears to me pretty rapid. As a nation, we began by declaring all men are created equal. We now practically read it, all men are created equal except Negroes. When the know-nothings get control, it will read all men are created equal except Negroes and foreigners and Catholics. When it comes to this, I should prefer emigrating to some country where they make no pretense of loving liberty, to Russia, for example, where despotism can be taken pure and without the base alloy of hypocrisy, close quote. The white supremacy, Michael Eric Dyson says, suffuses America, is not only ahistorical, It is a a suffusion that exists only to the extent he says it does, and that converts the losing side of the Civil War into the lost cause side justifying the Confederacy. Finally, it is not we who think facts and truths are white, as he says. It is we who think facts and truth don't depend on color or personal pronouns or anything else. It is if he wants to think facts and truth depend on color, He is, of course, free to say so, but let's not let him rewrite American history or the natural law to justify the philosophy of the Dred Scott decision and the Plessy versus Ferguson decision. For with his view of history in America, that is exactly the philosophy he embraces, the philosophy that color does determine rights, facts, and truth. Lincoln? Douglas, King, Grant, the whole lot of them, and the Union cause and civil rights cause thought right and fact made right and fact and truth. Not color, not might, not majorities, not personal pronouns. So it turns out, in the end, there is no greater philosophical defender of the Confederacy and its view of America than Michael Eric Dyson, after all. You can blame America first, I suppose. It's just that it is misleading, revisionist, and the wrong America. 
Shame and woe unto professors and men of the cloth who put stumbling blocks before the blind. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I always pause on that uh, CSN song. It's the best pop song of the last 40 or 50 years, I think. Um, 602-508-0960. Delighted to welcome back my good friend and boss, Chris Llewellyn, who is the vice president of all things important here, sitting in as producer pro tem today. Chris, thank you for doing that. Bill will be back tomorrow, last day of the Trump presidency. He gave his, um, delivered his farewell uh, remarks, and um, I want to talk a little bit about something he said in them. When I think about farewell addresses, the only one I really remember, and maybe the only one worth remembering with an exception, is Ronald Reagan's because it was so poignant in Ronald Reagan talking about how the tradition is to issue a warning to the American people. And his warning in Ronald Reagan's farewell address in 1989 was the um, lack of teaching American history. He warned about um, the loss of knowledge of American history, uh, how prescient he was, how right he was. And it leads to the warning that Donald Trump delivered in his farewell address today, which I'll get to in a moment. But just in passing, I just I just looked this up and I thought it was interesting. President's approval ratings when they left office. Donald Trump's, it's being touted, of course, as particularly low, 34% approval. That's actually the same approval number George W. Bush had when he left office and Jimmy Carter had when he left office and higher than Richard Nixon and Harry Truman when they left office. Now, what's interesting about that to me is how history has treated those with lower with lower approval ratings. Harry Truman is now seen as one of the greatest presidents, yet he had an exit approval rating lower than Donald Trump's today. Uh, Richard Nixon is uh, looked back fondly upon, with the exception, of course, of Watergate. And um, Jimmy Carter seems to be some kind of national hero as well. Undeserved, I think, but nonetheless, what is an approval rating today is not necessarily what the approval rating of history will reveal. We'll talk more about that, too. And any thoughts you have on uh, the last four years? What were your high or low points Higher low lights of the Trump presidency. 602-508-0960. Be right back. Send lawyers, guns, and money. I love that song. Warren Zevon, welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. We need a category updated song for John Dombrowski, who does our culture and economy update. John Dombrowski, of course, from Grand Canyon Planning Associates. Grand Canyon Planning.com. John, how are you today, sir? Good afternoon. I'm great. Lawyers, guns, and money. Yeah, That's wow! It's just it's, I, I sometimes blast that song when I'm waking up just to get <laughs> get going if I'm if I'm running a little slow. Well, that'll get you going. Yeah, it, it gets me going. It gets me going. Markets were off yesterday, but up today, right? Yeah, we had well, of course, Friday was yeah. when the last day of trading day. We had a long weekend uh, for the holiday yesterday, uh, but yeah, markets came back today. It was a nice little rally in all uh, sectors of the market, fairly, and uh, we saw tech leading the way. It was a good. Uh, Good day. Uh, interestingly, we did see Netflix uh, reporting after hours, so we're starting to see corporate earnings again. Yeah. And uh, they came out after uh, the bell and 
came out with some pretty decent numbers, and apparently investors like the stock because in after-hours trading, it's up sharply. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, economy situation, economic situation, there's going to be obviously all kinds of post, I suppose the word is post-mortems uh, on the Trump uh, years economically. He gave his farewell address today. He said this, how accurate do you score it? Income soared, wages boomed, the American dream was restored, and millions were lifted from poverty in just a few short years. It was a miracle. The stock market set one record after another with 148 stock market highs and boosted the retirement and pensions of hardworking citizens all across our nation. Mm-hmm. Fairly accurate? Yeah, I mean, pandemic. you can't argue with yeah. the result. There's no question. I mean, there are things you could you know, complain about, maybe about the president and just any president. Sure. But... Um, boy, certain things that he did do, no, no question about it. And I think the, to go on further with that, it was also talking about this was before the pandemic and then also after the yeah. pandemic, right? So in this case, if we were not that strong up to the pandemic, uh, it could have been a real challenge for this country. So you got to give the president kudos for that. There's no question. And then, of course, you know, I suppose stock markets are going to be looking really closely now at the economic policies of the Biden administration. Probably most paid attention to will be Janet Yellen, right? Yeah. So that was this is interesting, right? So Janet Yellen came out and made some comments about corporate taxes and saying that she would be for an increase in corporate taxes if they were in line with the world's corporate taxes globally. So that is actually a good sign, right? Because we've we know that in the past we've been higher than the rest of the world for corporate taxes, and there's been talk about raising those taxes again to those levels. Uh, so, but if maybe there is a rise in corporate taxes, but they are in line with global tax rates, then again, that's a little fair for. Uh, our corporations here in this country. In other words, she's saying we won't raise corporate rates above countries we're competing with. Yeah, pretty much that's it. So right. if China's corporate rate is, I think it's 25%, right. that would diminish the idea of putting ours where Biden once said at 28%, unless China increases. Right, because we don't want to, again, put our companies at a disadvantage. Yeah. Uh, again, why did these companies bring their money back and repatriate their dollars? Well, it was because of a lower tax rate. So if we start raising the tax rate again, are we going to start forcing companies to move elsewhere again to try to be as efficient as possible? And that's, you know, what companies do. They want to be as profitable as possible. And however they need to do that, they find ways. And if that's a loophole by leaving, well, then that's probably what they would, some of them would choose to do. John, what is a, what is one of the better ways for individuals who don't, you know, follow the economy as a matter of science or profession, like you do, for example, what's a good way for them to judge the health of it? Is it to look at the way their 401ks move? Is that a pretty good indicator? Uh, That is, that is one way to do, uh, to look at it, obviously. But, um, it's really difficult, Seth, if you're trying to listen to different uh, um, radio or television, whatever it might be, because there could be slants to those commentators. Yeah. Uh, so it is difficult. You'll hear how bad everything was during uh, President Trump's yeah. uh, presidency, and yet we saw all of these uh, positive things happening out there, especially when it came to the stock market, especially when it came to the value of uh, individuals' retirement accounts. So it is difficult to kind of feel, you know, your way through the noise. Um, but there are some there are some good 
good uh, shows out there to listen to. One of them is yours. And one of them is yours, too. <laughs> you want to put in a plug for your Sure, show? The Word on Wealth on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. on KKNT. You got it, baby. You bet. All right. All right, Seth, thank you so much. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and Tippic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. That's one Arizona voice, Linda Ronstadt. Let me give you another more favorite voice, Andy Biggs, congressman representing Arizona's 5th Congressional District and the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. Andy, I guess um, I guess with Trump on his way out, you're going to be the new... The, the new the new pinata for the liberal media, but no one can handle it better. Um, it's great to have you, sir. Great to have you as always. You've got your work cut out for you um, with this Biden presidency and all that they're preparing to unload on day one, don't you? Yes, I think so, Seth. I think uh, I think what we're facing is a, a sprint to the hard left uh, uh, of the spectrum, and that's. Uh, that's going to take a lot of vigilance, a lot of work, a lot of effort. Everything that Donald Trump spoke about today in his um, farewell address and everything that people like yourself and myself and so many of us think were great, ending the Paris Climate Accord, ending the Iran nuclear deal, fixing the North America Free Trade Agreement, withdrawing from the WHO, things of that nature, energy independence – it's a funny thing. It's I mean, it's just how divided America is. That's everything Biden wants to undo and the Democrats plan to undo. And I imagine they're going to try and do a fair amount of it with executive orders. Um, but what's your sense of it? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Those are kind of listed uh, in the first 10 days. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, that, that's their 10 day agenda. Yeah. And so there'll be a lot of executive orders. The difference that you're going to see, though, is... Um, uh, it, when President Trump did, tried to do some things by executive order, there was always a very aggressive uh, uh, litigation right. from uh, special interest groups. Yeah. And uh, the reason that you don't see it from Congress is because whether you're Democrat or Republican, you really don't have standing. And the, uh, the courts have said you generally don't have standings. But, but if you're a special interest group that might be affected, you get the standing and the way you go. Right. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see that kind of vigilance from uh, a lot of the uh, more conservative, right-leaning uh, special interest groups that, uh, to join us in Congress will be uh, we're we're going to be uh, back on this thing with uh, understanding that we're a major we're a majoritarian country. Um, that means we we solve issues by majority rule, and they've got the majority in the, in both houses mm-hmm. effectively. I was watching a commentator say earlier today that, you know, one consideration the Biden administration may want to take into account is that they do have the majority, but it's thin. It's 50-50 plus one if needed, or basically it's 50-50 in the Senate plus one. And it's um, so close in the House that they may not want to overreach because, you know, in two years things could could backlash against them. I think they've already overreached. I don't really think that um, I'm 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 not one of these people that 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 is going to counsel that Biden not do what he wants to do. I want him to do what he wants to do. I want the Americans to see what the left wing of the Democratic Party has become. I want to quit talking about it in theory and show it in actuality. I don't want to caution 
Democrats right now to put the brakes on. I really don't. I, tell me if that's a, a, a perverted view of politics. Well, it's certainly a cynical view, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way it is. <laughs> but, uh, but the reality is that they're not going to temp- temper it, their, their actions. They're not going to moderate it all. And you know that because the first 10 day uh, deal that they want to do, it has got a, it, they have a two trillion dollar uh, uh, COVID pack, bailout package that is going to devastate small business. Um, and they've they've got a, a basically a, an open borders uh, policy, which is also going to devastate the economy. They're going to um, pull the permits for the Keystone Pipeline, yeah. which will will make us more dependent on foreign oil. And anger our Canadian uh, our Canadian brethren, I think. That's right, because they were planning, I mean, there's been agreements reached. Yeah. So so you, you start looking, and that's just a, a small list of what they want to do. I, I don't view that as moderating your um, uh, efforts. I right. view that as uh, pedals to the metal, yeah. and that's where I think they're going to go. What can be done from the perspective of someone in your shoes, the minority? What can the minority rightly do to, I guess, more informed than anything else, but they can roll over over you as much as, as much as they seem to want to, right? Yeah, they, and they have for the last few years. I mean, and, and I don't want to get into the woe is me type of thing, but they, they basically, they've actually expanded that. So uh, I, I would liken this to a consolidation of power that you might have seen in in uh, 1930s fascist nations, where you you saw an attempt to basically emasculate the opposition party, the opposition press, uh, you attempted to censor anybody that was on the other side, and you and you attempted to isolate uh, groups and individuals so you, so you could uh, ostracize them if they failed to uh, comply with the, the authorities. I don't know, but that sounds a lot like what we're going now. And so what we need to do is, I think. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to say this as a former state legislator. The state legislatures um, are controlled from the more majority by Republicans. Right. Most states have Republican governors. Right. These folks can be the the catalyst to push back on the national government. It's no longer a federal government; it's a national government. But they can they can push back on it. They, for instance, we have to prepare for elections in 2022. Well, our side is very um, depressed about that. Well. And it might depress and suppress uh, voter turnout for the Republicans in 2022. Well, the way you do that is you make sure that you do the independent audits. You, you do what needs to be done legislatively, and then you, then you enforce uh, by litigation, which is what they did in 36 different states when they went in and, and litigated to change election law. You make sure that we're litigating to change yeah. them back to a more open, transparent way so that, so that uh, what I'm, t- I'm talking about is you can't vacate the field, Seth. You have to have to do it, and we can count on the legislatures if they would do it, and then we can count on our litigation arm if they could do it. And then in the meantime, uh, we can't just roll over. We can't. We've got to make the the Democrats work as they as they um, as they try to uh, uh, try to run through these things. They've changed the rules, so it makes it a lot easier for them. But nonetheless, we can go in there and, where possible, slow them down put up speed sticks so they have to uh, expose what they're doing more to the public. I think that's what we need to do. And issue minority reports and push the state yeah. legislatures to do such things as voter ID, right, and uh, so, uh, stopping the uh, unsolicited mail-in ballots. These the state legislatures could act on those things, could they not? 
Oh, absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, and um, and that that's what I'm saying. That yeah. The elections are controlled by the states, yeah. and we need them to control those. Perfect. And I hope you'll push on that continually. And, yeah, I think putting out minority reports quite a bit can be helpful on a lot of things, including election integrity, Andy. Well, we'll be both you yeah. fighting all the way and helping you get that majority back. Hey, thanks, Seth. Absolutely. Keep up the good work. God bless you. Godspeed, Andy Biggs. Your show for the next hour, then the Hallmans will be joining us as they typically do on um, in our third hours on Tuesday, 602-508-0960. So much tolerance, unity, and healing. Stephen King tweeted to Kaylee McEnany as she was uh, she put out a, a, a statement saying serving as the press secretary has been a true honor. I had the great privilege of sharing stories of the forgotten men and women of America. Stephen King tweets out, enjoy your next job as a cocktail waitress in Tampa. And I thought that um, it was wrong to criticize people like AOC for being bartenders. I guess it's okay to criticize cocktail waitresses in Tampa. Um, The Lincoln Project, which you know as the quote-unquote Republican anti-Trump movement, they put out a tweet picture of a witch on a witch's broom flying after a crow in the sky with the title, Just Now Ivanka Departs the White House for the Final Time. So much tolerance, unity, and healing, as I say. I want to talk a little bit, you know, there's an expression that you remember, you say this often of public leaders, you should remember them for their best things and not their last things. And I was thinking about that in the context of two of the last things this Trump administration has done, which might be two of its best things. One of them is a report it put out, a study it put out on American history and understanding America, 1776 commission report, which I want to talk to you about. It's an amazingly fantastic document. I tweeted it out saying this might be the single best document the federal government has ever put out since 1787. It's that good. I'll tell you about that. And then, of course, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo today publishing the determination as the Secretary of State on genocide committed by China in the Xinjiang province calling uh, attention to the state of atrocities there that we've been talking about for so long. Arbitrary imprisonment, deprivation of physical liberty of more than one million civilians, forced sterilization, torture, forced labor, draconian restrictions on freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom of movement, disappearances. China's gotten a big pass until Trump came along. I hope it doesn't get... A revanchist pass going forward. But what that country has done with slavery and slave labor is the, as far as I'm concerned, international story of the day and should have been for the last several years. Shame on those who make money off China and lecture us about the slavery we ended well over 150 years ago. Good for Mike Pompeo and this administration for doing that. 602-508-0960. Your thoughts on the highlights or lowlights of the Trump administration. We'll be right back.